We are here in another week of, well, I guess April this year, but usually it's like February or March when we say it's another week of February or March as we get closer to Oscar Sunday. But for 2021 purposes, April is the date as the 25th looms large over all of us. That is when the Academy Awards will take place. And in the lead up to Oscar Sunday this year, we have to talk about the 27th Screen Actors Guild Awards as they just took place last night. As well, later on in this episode, we will be talking about the documentary short subjects and their nominees in that category for Oscar Sunday. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Yes, the springtime sags, the the, 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 sags. the sag happy hour, whatever we got there, the sag uh, interview montage. But, you know, it was very strange because we got these interview montages in between the SAG Awards where they're like rushing through them. But, uh, yeah, a lot to talk about here. We're gonna, we'll get past the form in a minute. But uh, the documentary shorts is, is the reason for this tone. That's the reason for this. <laughs> I didn't tone. think they were that bad this year. Oh, I mean, well, one, they're, they're one not was bad. incredibly they're, sad. Oh, they're well made. They're, one yeah. was incredibly sad. <laughs> Where is your headspace right now? I was like, oh, for five. I needed like tea, and I don't know what a crumpet is, but I probably needed a crumpet. But I like tea for sure. I need, I was sitting like in a, with a tea cozy and myself just staring mm-hmm. at my tea last night. That's what I, I tell was. you. You said the springtime sags, and the first thing I thought of was, yeah, that's what my body is suffering through right now after being a year in quarantine locked up in the house so uh, we're on we're on a couple different wavelengths here i think proper for oscar's fodder though but yeah all right the documentary shorts we will talk about those later they i didn't think they were as depressingly horrible but uh maybe you could change my mind and maybe i'm just not remembering properly there's one that was just a downright uplifting i think right uh, but yes one for five one for right. five was <laughs> so, somewhat bittersweet you're you're correct but let's lead off like we tease. The 27th Screen Actors Guild Awards uh, were last night, Sunday the 4th, Michael. It was an hour-long, pre-recorded, with leaked winners and all. It's everything we said it and accused it of being before we even saw it. Uh, I didn't watch it. I was actually watching the shorts as the, the program was airing on TBS and TNT. You sat through it and watched it, Michael. What did you think of the television presentation of the SAGs? Well, it didn't work, and I don't want to harp on all of it and all the awkwardness and the strangeness and how rushed and awkward it was and how my documentary short tone of voice would actually look back upon this award show. Because again, my whole day was, I watched the shorts at like four or five and to six, like six o'clock. And then I had like an hour on Twitter, which of course is a wondrous and happy place as well. Right. You know, right before dinner in the sags. Yeah. Oh right. my God. It was just one right. of those. Whirlwind parade of, glory, of uplifting glorious glee. happiness. Yeah, yeah, for me. Oh my God. Uh, so this was the strange part about the SAGs. Like for 15 minutes of the, the of that hour of that 40 minutes, it felt like we had interview montages of all the presenters slash actors mm-hmm. that were talking about their quarantine and what they did during the pandemic, Mike. And yeah, Dan Levy had a crack about not being a good cook. He's like, I worked really hard to not be a good cook. I, that's funny. <laughs> Sterling K. Brown watched a lot of hoops. Uh, mm-hmm. Helen Mirren, uh, uh, she went out and communed with nature and became a bird watcher. And I can relate to all three. I did all three of those things. So that was fun. But I think this is a missed opportunity, Mike. We we know that these actors are not like us. We know. We know right. this. Sure. Like I watched those documentary shorts on netflix about actors <laughs> during the pandemic and paolo sorrentino was basically playing action figures with the pope and the queen elizabeth figurines <laughs> propositioning one another for 15 minutes straight maggie gyllenhaal filmed her partner peter sarsgaard having full-on sex with a giant tree yeah, well, that know. was one whole short film and not on netflix for everyone to watch Malcolm and Marie are still screaming at each other in a field somewhere. So, like, Henry Golding having fun watching The Mandalorian is just, like, 
fine, I, I get it. I'm sure he's well balanced, but I want I want to interview the actor like Gary Busey who became a Mandalorian. <laughs> I don't like. Give me a break. Try stop convincing me that me and Helen Mirren are the same. Like, yeah, we both saw real life actual bears walk by our decks. Great. Like you wanted Javier Bardem to be like, well, I did what any other person would do, and I just. Uh covered myself in gold for preservation for later years i want to know about the person who bought a million dollars worth of trading cards like sterling k brown i'm sure he bought a million dollars worth of basketball cards well if he did then he's the reason i can never find them at target anymore when i go and as someone who's been collecting for years i'm furious now at sterling k brown based on your hypothetical there but joaquin phoenix became a bear he like just (laughs) went he went off naked into the woods found a cave and lived in there like that's what i want to hear about like somebody hybrid as a bear and, so they tried the the us weekly stars they're just like us uh, in real time over this 15 minute segment it just didn't play well for you i just don't believe them yeah, I, I, yeah. I i mean they they were convincing it was pleasant it was fun i just don't believe them and it, i tell you the juxtaposition between that and like the super speedy super efficient edited speeches edited everything it was really hot well produced and, and it was it flew by but it was just kind of cookie cutter and i felt like i was being handled, Mike. It was like uh, uh, Desiree Dre from uh, Minorities Report. She talked about Godzilla and Kong, and she felt like she was being handled by the Kongness of it all, and how we were all <laughs> Team Kong, and she wanted to be she wanted to be Team Godzilla, and she didn't want to be handled. And mm. I felt like I was being handled in these actors and and us. I mean, yeah, Jimmy Fallon learned to play one song on the harmonica. That's very <laughs> adorable and cute. I want to know about the guy doing jam <laughs> sessions with Jimmy Dolan. Right. And, and Anthony Hopkins, I want to see all the outtakes from those dances. <laughs> I know? hear you. I hear you. You wanted them to get weird with it. And you're upset that they had to restrain themselves and try to make it relatable. We know on your they're weird. Yeah. We know. We know. They have to be. <laughs> to like, make, to ask be Nick Cage what he did is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah, I hear you. All right, I think that's a legitimate <laughs> criticism. But at least apples to apples, do you prefer the coolly edited freshly cut 42 minute version or do you prefer the zoom meeting that the golden globes have been i i will say it again i want above the line actors and above the line I, I want most of the people to be in the moment and giving their speeches on oscar night and on every award show i think there's a lot of great moments when that happens and sometimes you got to suffer through some awkwardness mm-hmm. but like the sound people who don't want to do the speeches on oscar day like give have them you know, with the pre-recorded uh, speech, have them do the, you know, something that they will be proud of at the end of the day that they let some USC filmmaker, uh, you know, make as a student real thing. I mean, mm. we, we've talked about this, this idea for the Oscars, have that be the highly produced pre-recorded stuff that you can bank on. And, and, and that doesn't go 15 minutes of them just sweating profusely and reading <laughs> names and getting quieter and quieter, like a NASCAR interview, like Ricky Bobby did. And Will Ferrell there. It's the most awkward thing in the world. Isolating every sound engineer and calling them. I, see, I, as an agent of chaos now and someone who's just done nothing but watch the Joker stuff lately, <laughs> all, I have. just want the complete opposite. If you're uncomfortable giving speeches, you're the only person I want to see speak live. And I want to see the top of the line people be hurried <laughs> off the stage. <laughs> you want only sound designers to give long speeches. Well, that's, yeah, that's the other thing heading into this recording that was really strange for us is that you just went off on your own and did a second Joker character study. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. You it wasn't did. healthy. No, it's not healthy. And <laughs> this is what I'm dealing with, people. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, we had an undercard. I guess you had an undercard at least the first half hour where the stunt awards were listed. Those winners were listed. And the uh, the TV awards were given out for that first half hour. So there was no supporting categories at the Screen Actors Guild, something I'm reminded of every year that I always forget. But that shakes it up because all of those actresses from The Crown, Mike, they're in their one category. Gillian Anderson, mm. Olivia Coleman, Emma Corrin, they're all in one spot. We also had uh, Laura Linney and Julia Garner in that same category. And uh, I, I didn't know who was going to come out with the win, but it was Gillian Anderson playing Margaret Thatcher. So you want to win an award? Meryl Streep and Gillian Anderson will tell you, play Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, it seems to be that way, right? As far as other TV wins at SAGs on the stage there, Jason Bateman got a win. Uh, like you said, the stunt ensemble, that went to Wonder Woman 1984 and The Mandalorian uh, for the TV side of it as well. And we, again, 
cannot ask the Academy anymore loudly to like consider putting stunt ensemble as an mm. official Academy Awards category. Uh, but that seems to be falling on deaf, ear- deaf ears, at least for this year, once again. Uh, otherwise, more of the same names you've heard thus far in award season as far as the winners on the TV side. You had Mark Ruffalo, Anya Taylor-Joy, Catherine O'Hara, Jason Sudeikis, awesome bodysuit or jumpsuit, whatever you want to call it that Jason Sudeikis was wearing. <laughs> I saw that. That made some noise on Twitter. Uh, the ensemble for The Crown and Shit's Creek, those all won all Again, so they're collecting more uh, gold and trophies as they have all throughout award season. So TV went fairly chalk on the night, Michael. Yeah, and my biggest takeaway for Oscars punditry reasons was that Olivia Coleman really gave an adorable speech where she lifted off, listed off all of the, the ensemble by their first name. And then she said a bunch of hiccupy. Yeah, I feel like British we're just poking things, the bear like, right now. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I just can't help it. She's like really charming with those speeches. So you never know. Like <laughs> if it's this close of a supporting actress race at the end of the day, if uh, if somebody else, if Kosar Ali wins the BAFTA, we're going to talk about it. But it may it may add a little extra to Olivia Coleman's candidacy that she just nailed that ensemble speech. Son of a well, as far as other people giving charming and endearing speeches, we can transition and talking about the movie categories, the Oscar categories, and what they did on SAG, how they went on to shape the Oscar races. Supporting actors, where we'll start, and Daniel Kaluuya gave his own charming and, and moving speech this week, hosting SNL, being out in front of that and continuing his Oscars campaign, but he also won on the SAG stage. He did win supporting actor at the Screen Actors Guild, and as such, his betting odds immediately shortened from around minus 450 to anywhere between minus 1000 to minus 1400 meaning right now you have to pay about $1,200 on Daniel Kaluuya to win the Oscar in Supporting Actor in order to win $100 of profit back. Hmm. Sasha Baron Cohen who has routinely been in second place in this category at around 7 to 2 or 3.5 to 1 has drifted to about 7 to 1 or 9 to 1 plus 700 or plus 900 look at the rest of the field in that category Leslie Odom Jr. I saw actually jumped Baron Cohen in a couple books not many but he's there that was surprising to me. Generally, though, he remains in third place around plus 1,400 or 14 to 1 odds, according to Vegas. Paul Racy has some support in the plus 900 or 9 to 1 range, but mostly can be found hmm. also at the 14 to 1 mark. And Lakeith Stanfield remains the longest of long shots in the category at 20 to 1 and above. But right now, the story is coming out of SAG Sunday. Kaluuya, supporting actor. That's This category is locked up, right, Mike? We're locking it at this point. Yeah. I mean, that number is is tougher to beat than Chloe Zhao's at director now. I mean, Chloe mm. Zhao, we locked her in at minus 1275. So minus 1400 as the, as the low mark or high mark. Again, I don't know how you char- characterize these things. But Daniel Kaluuya is just way... I mean, he's running away from everybody right now. We'll get into a stat in a minute. But I do think Leslie Odom Jr. and Paul Racy, because they are nominated at BAFTA and because people can see them with a path, maybe their their odds are shortening just a little bit or mm-hmm. maybe they didn't lengthen as much uh, as, the, as the Sasha Baron Cohen because he's not there at BAFTA. Neither is Lakeith Stanfield. We have Alan Kim, Clark Peters, right. uh, Barry K- Keegan, Kogan, Keoghan. <laughs> I think you nailed it eventually. One, one of those. those. <laughs> he was great. He was great, by the way, in Comp with the Horses. But yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, how dare you bring that movie up in my <laughs> presence? Uh, this is, yeah. I, I think if you're going to predict any of the other non Kaluya names in this category, like we talked about when we did lock in the Chloe Zhao category, you're going to have to make up a case because there's nothing to really base. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya not winning this category on right now. He's been uh, that strong of a candidate and that strong of a sweep, and now we have some history to back it up with. You tweeted the stat of it last night after it happened. 11 of the last 12 times a supporting actor won the Globe, the Choice, and the SAG. That actor would go on to win the Oscar, the lone exception was in 2006, Eddie Murphy of Dreamgirls, who was sweeping until Alan Arkin took the Oscar for Little Miss Sunshine. And the reason I talked about those three awards, Mike, is because at the BAFTAs in 2006, Alan Arkin did win for Little Miss Sunshine. So I guess maybe we're being a little, you know, preemptive with locking Daniel Kaluuya in right now. Paul Racy and Leslie Odom Jr. could upset and somehow springboard themselves uh, to to an Oscar win, or at least there's a precedent to it. But, I mean, 11 out of 12, I mean, you know, and it's a rarity when the sweep is on. So when the sweep is on, it usually follows through. Overall, 
I mean, 17 out of the last 26 SAG Supporting Actor winners won the Oscar. 18, if you count 2000's Benicio Del Toro, who won mm-hmm. the lead actor SAG, and then the supporting Oscar. Uh, only one winner, Django Unchained, uh, Christoph Waltz in 2012, only one winner, Oscar winner, was not nominated at SAG. So unfortunately, that stack does p- play in here. Lakeith Stanfield and Paul Racy are not nominated at SAG this year. So again, it really becomes a minefield when you're trying to play these games. So that kind of boxes out Paul Racy. So maybe there's a Oscar line maker and he's looking at Leslie Odom with a path and people wanting to bet that final path, that Eddie Murphy, uh, Alan Arkin path kind of thing. And that would have to be Leslie Odom. Take some gumption, I think, to uh, to go down that trail and, and expect take a lean. results. I mean, you yeah, a lean on on your house. Interest rates. What was David Long's name? <laughs> right. You got to right. research interest rates. And take, right. Exactly. <laughs> Man, when he said that, my heart skipped a beat. I think uh, him and I are kindred spirits, twin fire signs, or something. But yeah, it's it again. You're really kind of grasping at a narrative to pop up in the next couple of weeks here if you're picking against Kaluuya, I think. Could happen. He could not win the BAFTA, but he is nominated for BAFTA this year, and he was nominated for two BAFTAs back in 2018 for Get Out, including what he ended up winning, the EE Rising Star Award. Like I said, he just hosted SNL as far as the campaigning goes, mm. and probably most important as far as we feel about the BAFTAs is the fact that like he's an actual British guy, so <laughs> anything other than his name being called on the BAFTA stage, I think at this point would be a massive upset in and of itself, never mind going to Oscars glory beyond that. I agree. We're locking him. That's that. Yeah. All right. We can move on to supporting female actor, uh, which went to Yoo Jung Yoon of Minari. She won the SAG for Best Supporting Female Actor. Uh, her betting odds followed immediately going from plus 150 or betting $100 to win 150 of profit, all the way down, they shortened to about one, minus 163. So she is now the betting favorite in the category. And what we're going to find, why that movement is so stark, anytime we're talking about odds or stats or anything, the case seems to be if you win at SAG, history suggests you're likely going to win the Oscar in every acting category. And it, it, it happened nine out of 10 years. You'll have the stat in a minute, but... Uh... I think Eric Anderson tweeted something like the last 11 times there there was a SAG winner who was also nominated at the Oscars, with Emily Blunt being the exception in that Regina King year. Mm. Yeah, the last 11 times that happened, they, they wound up uh, going for the win. Now, this year has been unprecedented, or almost unprecedented. It'll be unprecedented in a lead actress, but... We could have four separate winners in supporting actress as well as lead a lead actress here. We have Bakalova and Yoon. They are nominated at the BAFTAs. I would probably guess that uh, Yoon Yoo Jung is going to be the favorite there. But Close Coleman and Seifert are, are not there. So I'm guessing that's going to go to, you know, Kosar Ali or <laughs> Dominique Fishback, Ashley Badekwe, Neam Algar for one of these, you know, BAFTA ind- independent spirit picks <laughs> because that's the way they've been going. So I'm not, I'm not, I Wild. wouldn't bet the farm on, on Yoon there. No. And I, I would get her a, the hell away from farms, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, Nice. Well look, done. <laughs> I think uh, we've been enjoying this category somehow, Michael, because at the beginning we were like, I hope somebody different wins each week. And we were half joking when we said that because we didn't have necessarily performances that we were getting behind and as the the year went along and as we studied these and as we had fun talking about it uh, about supporting actress with swell in that last episode i think we've we've enjoyed the close versus coleman two part two mm-hmm. <laughs> we've enjoyed that aspect of it but I, I i also enjoy how everybody's avoiding coleman and close in all of these award shows yeah right now. yeah and, it uh, is it is quite a sight to behold. I agree. Yeah, it's been kind of fun to watch. Even though Olivia Coleman is the rightful winner, and How dare uh, you? we will uh, <laughs> we will get that at the last minute in a, in a, in a late breaking upset. No, I think uh, Yoon was the the leader amongst the critics for a long time. Eric Weber, a lot of people, they've had her out front of this race from the beginning. Vegas was kind of hedging their bets a little bit. Bakalova and Yoo Jung Yoon were both there. Uh, plus 150 for a while. I did not see any Bakalova odds at all today. So I'm wondering if they're doing algorithms or they're just not allowing those bets to be made today or what. But hmm. basically Vegas, I just didn't see any odds for Bakalova at all. Yeah, anything I've seen regarding Bakalova, she's 
definitely been drifting. There's mm-hmm. certainly a hierarchy, an established hierarchy. You might be able to make the most money. I, mean, I know this isn't a betting show per se today, but if you are interested <laughs> in betting these types of things, because you have a sickness in your head like I do. <laughs> you can lose a consistent amount of money. <laughs> well, you might but be you making can win the, the most, most profit. Money. You right. may have the best odds you can get on Bacalova right now until Oscar Sunday. These uh, are the I, arguments that scare me the most. Well, and, and it's like, because when you yeah. went in on it, Mike, the thing I was, that came to my mind is if I'm betting Yoon Jung Yoon, I'm going to wait to see what BAFTA says. Because if she doesn't win the BAFTA, her odds are going to drift back to getting some value out of it. So I'm not, you're not going to have to pay the VIG. So I know people uh, don't come necessarily for the for the betting uh, intensive stuff every episode, but that's the that's how my mind works. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm very scared <laughs> of this category. I wouldn't have bet this category with your money. Uh, I, I'm I really not wearing would've... hockey pads. <laughs> Where does that come from? You've been quoting that all week, all week long, because you've been watching The Dark Knight again and again. What does that even mean? I don't know. Anyway, here's the stat about the supporting actress category. Nine of the last 10 and 20 of the last 26 female supporting actor SAG winners went on to win the Oscar. That includes 2008's Kate Winslet of The Reader. She won SAG supporting, but ultimately won the Oscar for Best Lead Actress. Again, if you win SAG in this category, history suggests... You become the Oscar winner more often than not, far more often than not in this category's case. I don't know. Do you expect Eugen Yoon to win the uh, to win the BAFTA? Can you expect anyone in this category to win anything at the BAFTA right now? I'm guessing she's the favorite. I, I, yeah. I, I'm guessing at this point. But uh, no, I have no idea. I have no idea yeah. how they view Minari. I, I, I mean, apparently, I don't know. It's a, it, it, that we're honest enough to tell you people we just don't know and nobody knows of course they don't so everybody just gives all the biblical levels of certainty out there when they (laughs) make their predictions and it drives me insane but i genuinely don't know we've had a different winner every award show bafta had some nominees from independent films that haven't been nominated anywhere else that are good films rocks uh calm with horses very good michael you should watch calm with horses it is calm And then there are horses, and then just, there's a dramatic irony about the the title. Keep poking that be- between that and concrete cowboy and all this, this <laughs> onslaught of horse movies coming out of nowhere. I feel every like every spring, though, it's every spring. Jockey yeah. at Sundance, which I saw, which was excellent. Yeah. Lead actor, Mike. Let's talk about lead actor. <laughs> And one of the categories we did officially lock on our episode last week, talking about Oscar locks, there's no surprise this one continues on. Chadwick Boseman did win the lead actor category at SAGs. 21 of the last 26 SAG winners have gone on to win the Oscar. That's an 81% clip. Uh, But like we said, Mike, this one we already decided was over pre-SAG. This just kind of cements it even more so. Yeah, Taylor uh, Simone Ledward was excellent as always. Uh, You know, I wish they didn't edit her. I she's been really she's been really uh emotional to watch yeah throughout this season and kind of how she pauses and regroups i mean it just really yeah they they shouldn't have edited her that that was aggravating to me anyway to repeat the stat though i mean from our oscar locks pod uh the last 13 times an actor won a globe the choice and the sag i mean they've gone on to win the oscar so his betting odds Chadwick Bozeman's are going to continue to shorten, I'm guessing, or at least if they stay at this crazy number, it's minus 2,000. So you got to bet house to win to yeah. win a hundred. <laughs> yeah, what? basically to win a hundred bucks. I mean, and, and rightfully so they'll keep the odds out there because if you're crazy enough to, to bet on a super long shot, you know, God bless mm. you, but you're basically mm. just lighting money on fire at that point. That's even too nuts for me to get a taste of. But don't, you know, don't, let's not be foolish, Academy. This is the right call. This is what should happen. We've been saying it for months. Our stance hasn't changed. Nothing has changed to change the landscape of the race. Chadwick Boseman deserves this category. No, deserves I, this one. What I was going to say before your hockey pads quote got into mm-hmm. my brain and, and <laughs> melted me. I don't even, I still don't understand why that. But anyway, the, you have to bet house to win car. That's not a good wise bet. Right. Right. If if even car. Sometimes just tire. But yeah. No, but this this is this is clearly a house to car ratio, I think. I don't know. I don't know much about either. Yeah, I mean there's no there's nothing to suggest you should expect anything else in this category. There's no reason 
to give this category to anyone else. I think you, as much as I said the same about supporting actor and, and you have to kind of convince yourself, this is even more so. This one is, it's got the narrative times 10 attached to it. So mm-hmm. just leave it be. Don't, let's not get cute. Let's not get bored of picking Chadwick Boseman as if such a thing could, I think, even be possible, which I don't think it could be. But let's just let this one be and let's have the moment that we're all kind of, I think, looking forward to and and Chadwick Boseman deserves and the man deserves and, and his widow deserves and I, I just, I, 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 part of me can't wait, but part of me is also very, I, I know I'm going to be an emotional wreck like everyone else would be. I agree, man. I, I agree wholeheartedly, but let's, uh, let's talk a little uh, female actor. All right. So this was probably the biggest surprise of the night. Viola Davis won. Uh, that's a shock. The other thing leading to her win that wasn't a shock is that we saw this one break. This one was leaked early. Uh, we knew this one was coming. What do we have as far as thoughts on Viola Davis's win here, Michael? Well, I, I first I kind of want to premise this about the leaks because immediately when when somebody hears that it was leaked, they blame the the camp of that that uh, of the winner, and that's not always the case. I'm guessing, and that's probably not the case. In, in a situation like this, I mean, we follow these stories around, you know, journalism, whatever. I'm a communications major. Great decision that was. Uh, and, <laughs> but it's studying journalism for those four years and uh, definitely moving on with that a little bit. Look, I mean, the loser's camp could, is probably twice as likely to leak the results. Uh, and, and in this case, it could have been the dog walker of the makeup artist of the neighbor. <laughs> you know, I mean, who the heck knows who leaked it? Uh, so th- that's on the one hand. On the other hand, Maria Bakalova was leaked to have won supporting actress, as far mm-hmm. as I know. So I was seeing that days pr- prior. So, I, 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 you know, the leaks were half right. So, I, I, look, I mean, Mike, you knew things were going to get leaked. I was actually kind of... Uh, blissfully ignorant or hopeful or i wanted to i wanted to think that everybody was going to be tight-lipped about it myself and i in hollywood yeah i know yeah no it wasn't it wasn't my best my wisest decision but i (laughs) I wanted to be like see they didn't leak it at least that (laughs) no but that you you knew this was coming i'll say this i was surprised that things were as tight-lipped as they were the leaks weren't as prevalent uh but people got to them there's no doubt about that, and I think it did take away. I, I think I tweeted this. I can't remember, but it took away from the moment of the night. This could have been a genuine talking point. Then right. there were still conversations about it. There was still shock about it, but it wasn't near the level that I think it could have been. And, and this has major ramifications on the best actress race too. Totally. And I don't think it got nearly the shine that it could have and should have merited because. Of, and I do blame the leaks because of that. Uh, yeah. I know there were a couple big critics out there who got their hands on leaks. Who knows if it came from from that side of things? Who knows if it came from the uh, actors' teams? I imagine it came from the actors' teams themselves. Well, that's but, sources, right? I mean, sources are, can yeah. talk to people, and then they they actually didn't leak, or maybe I mean, who knows who leaked it? We don't yeah. know. Yeah, but yeah, I, I'm I'm upset. I was upset to to see that this one was was called ahead of time. But okay, let's talk about Viola Davis and let's talk about the lead actress category as a whole. This is another one that's totally up in the air right now. We're gonna get five different major precursor winners from the four major precursor award shows, Mike, and that is unprecedented as yeah, far as wild. I know. We had Andrew Day and the non nominee Rosamund Pike, even though. A moment of glory for for yourself. And by moment, you mean the great, single greatest and bravest call in the history of all things award shows. Go ahead. Even a blind squirrel. No, I mean, <laughs> Carrie Mulligan won the Critics' Choice, and now Viola Davis, who was sitting at plus 800, plus 900, 8 to 9 to 1, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was a distant fourth or maybe third in some spots, so... SAG has a strong track record here, Mike, so her odds are going to shorten like crazy. 19 of the last 26 SAG Best Female Actor winners have gone on to win the lead actress Oscar. And yes, that includes now the flip side of that Kate Winslet 2008 thing where she won SAG supporting and then Oscar lead. So that stat actually comes to hurt the lead uh, crossover category now. So if you look at the uh, the category overall as far as the books go, mm-hmm. McDormand has drifted to third, maybe fourth, which she had been second pretty much solidly. 
Viola Davis shortens all the way to about two to one. Mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan still does lead the category, even though her odds have drifted and everybody is in the positive, much like was the case in the supporting actress category prior to SAGs. So those two categories lead in supporting actresses have kind of flip-flopped, whereas going into SAG, there was no betting favorite in the supporting actress category. Coming out of SAGs, now there definitively is. We'll see what happens on BAFTA Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Frances McDormand and Vanessa Kirby are the Oscar entries in the BAFTA race. Everybody else is a non-Oscar nominee. Alfre Woodard, Rada Blank, Wunmi Musaku, Bucky Dacre. because Kirby is is on the BAFTA's ballot, I think that's why her odds are even surprisingly low. I mean, she's down to like 7 to 1, 10 to 1 right now in certain books that I'm looking at. 12 to 1 is like the, the farthest out, but it looks like pretty much this entire field is within 10 to 1 right now of itself. So wow. nobody knows. The money doesn't dictate exactly anything. Maybe we'll get one of those cases. I mean, look, first of all, maybe BAFTA will tell us something more enlightening. Second of all, maybe come Oscars morning, we'll see a big shift of money towards one of the uh, nominees here, and that'll dictate what will happen later in the night, as has happened a couple times uh, historically. But yeah, this category was a major toss-up. You're right, Viola Davis was certainly at best third, uh, probably going into SAG's night, and now she might be the favorite by the time the BAFTAs are done, and here's why. Since 2000, there have been 10 years in which there were at least three different lead actress winners amongst the four major precursor shows seven of those 10 years the woman who won sag would go on to win the oscar however maybe use this as a word of warning for the changing academy because since 2010 that same thing has happened four times and the sag winner has only won two of those four times Mm. Take that for what it's worth. I mean, yes, the SAG winner usually does go on to win the Oscar, especially when there is so much diversity amongst the winning nominee in the precursor lead-up. But it doesn't always happen. <laughs> so you mean so? So when we have three different winners, that's when the stack comes into play. Yes. You mentioned, and you, you mean variance. You don't mean diversity, as in what diverse an old wooden shit. You don't mean yeah, that. right, right. The the different okay. yeah, very yeah, sure. I'm. I wasn't a communications major. I was a sports major. <laughs> but yes, variance, not diversity. So, and that's including, obviously, the Golden Globes having two different, at least, every year. So, usually this category is a runaway, but this is the furthest thing. We're going to have five different winners, like you said. We, we could have five different winners. And it's it's really stunning to see. I don't, I'm very curious, as someone who does follow these lines and odds closely, I'm just fascinated to see what happens not only on the BAFTA stage, but coming out of BAFTAs, what these lines are going to settle at and what the general consensus is going to be. I saw critics last night that we respect and talk to that say, well, we can't Carrie Mulligan's got to be completely off the board. How could you put any faith in picking her and predicting her? Hmm. My reaction is why not? You can make an argument. For right. One of them. Right. right. Now, that's the most fun thing about this Oscar season. In my opinion is supporting actress and lead actress. Right. These two actress categories are crazy and they're full of performances on the level and in, and in lead actress it's just a battle royale i mean we got some huge names going toe to toe they've each won a precursor and i mean mcdormand or kirby has a chance to really i mean we could have a four-person race mm-hmm. my god it's never happened yeah I, the, the fact that the two remaining people who have not won an award are now in the driver's seat to win the BAFTA <laughs> and make this a four-person race or a four-person, you know, with precursors race going into that final Oscar. I, I That's crazy. As a man who officially just wants to watch the world burn, I, you have to be voting for Kirby, right? Like, if you're me, if you're somebody who just loves anarchy, you have to be pulling for Kirby in the <sighs> BAFTAs. So you, you actually think she's a stronger candidate than McDormand, though? I mean, we're going to talk I, about. Look, this I have no. Episode. If you, if you yeah. look at the odds right now, I'm just going by the money and what Vegas says. McDormand's four to four to one, four and a half to one, plus four hundred, plus four fifty. Kirby's gone down to seven to one. She's not even twice the odds of as McDormand. No, I wouldn't wow. pick Kirby, but I'm just saying for the sake of anarchy, I would hope Kirby pulls off the upset on BAFTA Sunday because then, I mean, you may have the lowest odds in this category be like plus one seventy five for the favorite, which is nuts. That is nuts. That I've never seen anything like that. Have you ever seen anything like that in elsewhere in life, like with sporting events, with 
horse. No, because with. it's always one's going to, you know, I mean, in a head-to-head competition, one usually, the closest thing would be like maybe betting soccer, but now you're really delving into some things that I've done during dark times in my life that I don't want to focus on, so. <laughs> the fact that you called it soccer and said you bet it is even worse. That's even worse. All right. So the further we reference back in history, the better it looks for Viola Davis's candidacy, Mike. That's what it looks uh, like, yeah. Yeah, so the SAG uh, success is there. It is clear. Uh, now, she's also had success with the Screen Actors Guild herself. We, yes. She's only won one apiece at uh, Oscar Globe, BAFTA, and Emmy. She's won now six SAGs, including five individual SAG awards, two of those on the TV side for How to Get Away with Murder, and three of those now for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Fences and Supporting, and The Help. She won a lead actor, Best Female Actor Award from The Help, and also the ensemble that year for her sixth SAG, or, or that was her one and two. But Mike, she's won a lot with SAG, so this this awards body loves her. We know there's a huge crossover to Oscar. She does make the most of that performance. Mm-hmm. She has the least amount of screen time, and she leaves a huge impact on us. We, t- we talked about that in the last episode, Supporting Actress episode. And so, yet, yeah. and yet, Mike, with all that we know, right? Mm-hmm. And we know the, the, the acting guild loves Chadwick Boseman. And those are the two that won their leading categories, right? They are the two best leading performances of the entire year, according to the entire actor's body. So maybe we should throw out the, the, the Viola Davis. Maybe it's an anomaly because she is so in tight with SAG. Maybe it doesn't mean as much. But still, SAG didn't vote Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as the winner of Ensemble. They gave right. it to Trial of Chicago 7 on the night. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. But, <laughs> it makes no like, sense. You could, but you could take it glass half full or glass half half empty there. You could take it that the SAG has the greatest crossover to Oscar, so the Viola Davis win here means more than everything, everything else. And, of course, it has the greatest crossover regardless. So you could take it as a, a much more of a positive, or you can say, I mean, everybody's going to make the argument that they just love Viola Davis. They always have. And rightfully so. And, I mean, she's on the record speaking about, you know, if I'm on the Oscar stage for the third time as the, the most uh, prolifically nominated black lead actress, well, that could probably be a, a case in point about how much the industry's changed, but also how far it has to go and why does it take... Basically making the, the point, you know, that we always try to say ourselves here, good for getting there, but why it takes so long, that could be a moment of the night, too. That could play into some some of the... Uh, some people want to see that. Why not give Viola Davis a live mic? There's all kinds of narratives you can attach. That's what does make this race so fun is that like when things are so wide open Mm. speculation means nothing i mean it means everything and nothing you could grasp onto any narrative and make the case for it and you could be completely right and then have that person win for completely different reasons it's just it's wild right now if this is a completely wild ride that lead actress has turned into and it's actually I, i i certainly needed i'm sure other people did but it's it's fascinating me for this award season Stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to be attacking this yeah. race with all our muster and interviewing an expert, an Oscars history expert, yeah. returning to the show. So that's going to be fun, Mike. All right, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom may be without an Oscar Best Picture nomination, and it did, in fact, lose this SAG ensemble that we'll talk about in a minute. But Ma Rainey's Black Bottom still had a huge week as it won both of these lead actor awards at SAG and two of the biggest awards at the Muaz Mike. It won both the makeup and the hairstyling in the period category awards sections at the Muaz. So that's again, we talked about its candidacy as a as a likely winner, as definitely a likely contender in many categories, even though it did get the best picture snub at the end of the day. Marini's Black Bottom is still, you know, impactful on the Academy. It's leading the makeup, uh, at least as far as guild voting goes, right? It's probably leading costume design. It's probably walk. It's definitely walking away, at least according to us, with at least one leading category on the night. That's costume three Oscars design, to its name. Yeah, I'm not ready to give a costume no? design. No, you don't think but, so? But we're going to have an expert on for that, too. So Right. So, I mean, that, well, so at worst, its worst we'll day push. right now is what? Probably two Oscars? Two Oscars has to be its worst day. Yeah, you would I think. agree. Because, yeah, we're almost ready to lock makeup and hairstyle right. for it. Right. Yeah. 
Crazy stuff. All right, let's finish up. Let's talk about that SAG Award for Outstanding Ensemble. It did go to Trial of Chicago 7. We've mentioned it a couple times. Uh, Trial of Chicago 7 was the favorite in the category going in, at least according to Vegas. It defeated the Five Luds, Ma Rainey's, Minari, and One Night in Miami. It has won SAG, Choice, and Gotham Best Ensemble Awards, but as far as everyone likes to talk about Best Ensemble and as far as it is the biggest category of the night for the SAG Awards, there's not necessarily a huge crossover to Oscar's success. Only 12 of the last 25 SAG Ensemble winners did go on to win Best Picture. That's 48%. Right. So we've seen this lately with Parasite. We've seen this lately with Spotlight where everybody views the impact of a big SAG Ensemble win as a path towards Best Picture and the winner's circle at the Academy. So on the one hand, recency bias says it matters, but when you do look at that stat, it's a little scary. The reason Mm -hmm. why I bring this up, though, is twofold. A, I want to stir it up a little bit because Nomadland looks like that that engine in the van and you made the joke, it's going far. You've really held on to that joke that I made, and that's how I know it's a good dad joke. It's a be- it's yeah, it's a good dad joke. It's about a Hemi and a van and a hockey pants, I think, are involved. Mike, 20, 22 out of the last 25 Best Picture winners were at least nominated, though, at the Screen Actors Guild in this SAG Ensemble category, which is the shorthand for it. That's 88%. Now, clearly, Nomadland would become an exception to that rule if it went on to win and it, mm-hmm. and it, and it pulled off its own sweep. There's two recent precedents for that exception. Green Book was not nominated in SAG Ensemble. Neither was Shape of Water. Braveheart is the third, the distant third from 95 right. there. Uh, otherwise... The other caveat with Nomadland is it has a good reason for why it's not in SAG Ensemble. Sure. There's only three SAG actors at the time of this production. That's you what have, I was going to ask. How many of the people we saw on screen actually even have SAG cards? As far as I know, it's Francis McDormand. I thought I read something where it was Francis McDormand and father-son Strathairn. Okay. <laughs> I would believe it. You could tell. Yeah. I mean, I'm that willing to it. buy it. And otherwise, Nomad Land was made up of non-actors, made right. up of real nomads. Right. So uh, we're going to analyze this much further when we get into the best picture category pod as well. Look, we talked about Chicago 7 needing to draw kind of an inside straight. BAFTA has Chicago 7 going up against the father, the Mauritanian, Nomadland, and Promising Young Woman for Best Film. There's no Best Ensemble Award there, unless I'm really overlooking things. There's no Best Ensemble Award at BAFTA, so we're basically going to give Chicago 7 that award, or we may not give Chicago 7 any awards. There's no BAFTA puzzle theory there. I I guess they could still... Can they give screenplay? Hold on. I'm not now. Now I, I don't know these award nominations well enough, and I got to look up original screenplay. And yes, the Trial of Chicago Seven is there. So if, if we're playing puzzle theory, they can still give Chicago Seven an award on the night. What was this puzzle play. theory for SAG giving Chicago Seven ensemble? I wonder. I, I because... mean, can somebody explain to me when you have all those pros that were part of Ma Rainey's ensemble still that we've talked about, Coleman Domingos, etc., all throughout, like. They give it the lead actor, you give it lead actress, and yet it's it doesn't right. win your ensemble. So was this spreading the love? Exactly. Well, I've heard the argument from a lot of people that I respect that it's a true ensemble. You know, the Trial of Chicago Seven is a true ensemble in the sense of the word in many respects. I mean, there's like twenty great, twenty superlative level performances, mm-hmm. but they're not going to necessarily win awards on their own right but they work together extremely well and it, again it's the definition of the word i do think you hit on the biggest point as far as best picture right now is that chicago 7 needed this and it got this and i think we're looking at a two movie race right now i don't know how you convince yourself about promising young woman or minari to gain make up enough momentum between now and academy voting's deadline to... No, they'll have to come in out of nowhere. And, right. and look, I mean, everybody will say at the end of it, if it did shock the world, like if, if people wanted to say, all right, Me Too movement ends, not ends, but if Me Too movement has a moment with Promising Young Woman winning this Oscar, this is a time to make it. 
let's say, God forbid, something happens or there's a big news before before then. I mean, something can happen. I mean, Ann Thompson always says, you know, this actor can save a cat from a tree and could be major headlines. Right. And you never know. Right. So something could change in the voting body at the end of the day where Promising Young Woman has that narrative working for it. And Minari, I, I don't know the, the narrative case you make for it there, but I, I do know that, that it's been winning awards throughout awards season, Mike. So, I mean, something weird could happen in this pandemic year. I'm still holding out the fact at the end of the day, yes, we're predicting these things. Yes, we're locking things or even putting locks on things. But you never know. You just never know. That's why we keep talking. The normalcy about the best picture category is maybe the wildest thing to me about this wild year. How mm-hmm. everything's been so off kilter. We have this elongated award season year. This calendar has been pushed out to 14 months, 16 months, whatever you want to call it. And things are going haywire. But yet the top two films have been the top two films, at least betting wise, in terms of what's likely to win best picture since October. And it's April and we're talking about this now, six months later. It's still, it's remained that static and that status quo. That's bizarre to me, but Vegas uh, reflects what I'm saying right now. Nomadland, as far as Best Picture goes, is comfortably in the catbird seat in the category around minus 400 or one to four. You got to pay 400 to get $100 profit. Chicago 7 sits around plus 500 or five to one odds. Third place, you have to double Chicago 7's odds to find the next closest picture, which is Minari, in most books. Minari's in third place in most books. Promising Young Woman is in fourth place. Then Judas the Black Messiah in fifth. The only two movies with an inside 5-1 to one shot at winning Best Picture right now are Trial of Chicago 7 and Nomadland. And I think that's what we're shaping up to have the battle come down to as far as this category goes. Again, Minari can kind of hold serve at BAFTA a little bit, or at least stay in the periphery. Mm-hmm. Promising Young Woman could flat out have a day at BAFTA yeah and that could. might change the odds a little bit so I'm, I'm there's momentum to be had for promising young woman it's still a possibility is it going to create enough momentum without some kind of a you know righteous uproar outside of this situation with BAFTA I don't I don't think that's I again I hope it's I almost hope it's not possible because of what what that would mean news wise or real life wise you know mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, God, I can't. I hate to yeah. put it that way, but no, it's it, that's a, it's a so fair you, point. I think. You're right. I mean, we've been we've been categorizing the best picture race with those two as the the the, the, the two that have been duking it out for a while. And we talked about Trial of Chicago Seven. David and I talked about it as well after PGA having to pull this instru- inside straight of having a day at BAFTA, winning this ensemble. Well, now it won one of those two. So if you if you see Chicago 7 winning at BAFTA, Mike, in that best film category, let's say it wins there, it wins original screenplay and has its best day. Uh, it win, there's a, it's nominated a couple other times. But if it has its best day at BAFTA, what are you thinking is going to happen with those with those odds? It's going to shorten to how much? <sighs> Because, again, Nomadland is, is is not lost yet. I don't think you can I, – I, I think because Zhao is such a entrenched favorite to win mm-hmm. in multiple categories, I think, there's not going to be any path that unseats Nomadland as the favorite going into Oscar Sunday, despite right. what happens at BAFTA. I think the bigger story, what could happen at BAFTA, and it's strictly, strictly speaking from what how BAFTA's voted – Mm-hmm. Is that Nomadland and Chicago Seven are so American centric, right? Yeah. There's a world in which promising, like you said, promising young woman breaks through. Where I mean, even Minari's kind of very American centric, but it at least tells more of a global prism. Obviously, so there's a world in which Minari breaks. So. Uh, Maybe the category is not the two-horse race. that It's certainly shaping up that way, but the last gasp, I think, is going to be BAFTA, which is obvious to say, and yet I still think needs to be said, because these are Nomadland and Chicago 7 are very, very American-centric, and BAFTA doesn't usually... Hmm. When BAFTA has the chance to go otherwise, let's say, they sometimes hold on to that chance and follow that lead. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week for sure, whatever happens, and uh, a lot of talk about 
for the rest of this week because we're going to be covering two other, well, three other major categories, actually. Uh, we're covering the two screenplays, I think, we hope, as well, by the end of the week. So, yeah, a lot going on pre-BAFTA, coming out of BAFTA, Mike. But uh, the moment you've all been waiting for, we're going to talk about... <laughs> documentary shorts so there were five uh documentary shorts we were able to watch them through the middleburg virtual film festival you can get them all for 12 dollar rental i think it's for 24 hours a love song for latasha do not spill hunger ward colette and a concerto is a conversation uh I forgot about Love Song for Latasha. You're right. That one was extremely sad. So that's at least two that are very, very sad. But uh, I don't think it was the parade of sadness that this category has been in the past. I'll say this, too. In the time that we've been doing MML, I think these were the uh, the most enjoyable five documentary shorts that I've watched. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I did enjoy them. They're good for the soul. They're they're. There's a lot of sustenance here, and there's there's importance here. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm up on all the politics, that, I'm, right. I, that I understand all of them. Uh, but I did learn. I did learn a lot. Mm-hmm. I guess you want do you want to you know share some thoughts on each one here? Yeah, let's go uh, go quickly through them one by one. If you guys didn't have a chance to view them for yourself, if you don't know what they're about, we'll start with a love song for Latasha. Uh, these are actually the order in which they're presented in the Middleburg Film Festival as well. You get them all. That's like a two hour and 16 minute run time to go through all five of them. Uh, a love song for Latasha is a recapping of a a young, uh, a black teenager who was shot dead by someone who was portrayed to be a racist store owner in LA uh, in 1990, in the early 1990s, which actually added as a uh, kind of a linchpin event that led to the LA riots of 1992. Famously, uh, the woman's name, the young woman's name who was shot, gunned down, was named Latasha. And it's her friends and her classmates who were there and were friends with her, recapping their interaction with her the good Latasha did on their life, not necessarily so much what happened the day the murder went down, but the impact Latasha had as a human being on their life. What was amazing to me about this, most of all, Mike, is that it was done, usually when you have event documentaries like this, you're going to get those news clippings, you're going to get the mm-hmm. you know the, the recaps, a, 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 new, a news anchor telling you about what's going on. This was all just... First person word of mouth through all these eyewitnesses, yeah. friends, peers, etc. I thought that was really cool and really unique. It, it was unique. It was very personal. It, I mean, the relatives, the friends who have clearly not recovered. I mean, it just right. shows you how casual racism just explodes and erupts into just this life changing violence that that never truly and fully heals. And the fact that the fact that everybody in the neighborhood kind of had by by inference a similar not i mean a similar story right the, the fact that that harlan's family had two stories like it with the mother and the daughter mm-hmm. is just such a waking nightmare horrible so I, so it, the fact that we do get this this love song this elegy for latasha used much more <laughs> correctly let's say than the hillbilly elegy yeah, we got earlier in the year for christ's sake so this is this is Netflix buying this movie early on, showcasing this movie early on. Kudos to Netflix. A love song for Latasha, Latasha Harlins. It's 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 something to watch. You can even if you don't pay the twelve dollars, watch it on Netflix. And the title cards at the end, the the recapping, the summation, oh, yeah. heartbreak, just absolutely heartbreak, absolutely heartbreaking stuff. The entire thing is. Uh, Do not split was the next one that's shown, and it recapped the Hong Kong protests that happened in the fall, going into winter of 2019, as the Hong Kong government was dealing with extradition laws that they wanted to put on the books that involved basically the repression of freedom of speech. Um, I thought this one was. Maybe my favorite, uh, just in terms of attraction to the story and the relatability that yeah. that country is going through versus what this country that we're in is going through at the same time over the, some of the same aspects with freedoms, with government oppression, police uh, brutality, pr- yeah, police brutality the, the need for investigation independently amongst the police ranks. It's, it's really eerie. And clearly, yes, there's, there's a lot of... And- commonalities obviously the situations are very different there's racism to a different degree sure here it's just they're yeah, they're different not one to one certainly right. i'm ignorant of the situation i'll admit it uh I, I i need to study hong kong history much more than i 
I do, but I'm trying to fix that. And I, I did a lot of research around this as well. Damned if I know necessarily what to think here. I thought, I thought it was a harrowing documentary. It went for like a half hour and you're watching these kids, these college kids, uh, going up against these riot police just constantly. And it's just, Oh my God. I just, I, I mean, I would, I was as stressed out watching that yeah. documentary as I've been all year from watching a documentary, but it, it again, it does really, it does throw a lot of information at you. It's on the ground. The access is unprecedented because they're inside one of the pre-pandemic so ground surreal. zeros of, of, of the conflict. I mean, you watch as these kids break into a bank and set fire to it in real time. The story is all pushed along uh, by first person interviews and not, you know, facing the camera interviews, but real time interviews as these conflicts are happening there's people stepping away to like update the camera as to what's going on it's harrowing it's surreal it's eerie in the way it's relatable in some ways obviously like mike says not one-to-one i completely agree but uh for me harrowing i think it's the best word i can use i already did but that's how i felt watching that entire thing i don't know why china is barring the oscars from playing there to a degree Mm -hmm. for better days that is a nominee. I heard, I heard something that uh, that had something to do with it. Rather, I understand why their government would be aggravated with this short being nominated by our academy. I mean, this short is basically it's yeah. it's yelling at the Chinese government. I so at least look. I mean, I, again, I don't know what to think about the whole conflict. I, I kind of, I'm obviously leaning in a direction, but I under at least I can understand why. China is getting mad and, and why the, the Hong Kong government is basically uh, outlawing the Oscars on their t- they're, they're not going to air the Oscars. They, and and they, they have they've also made headlines by uh, having a conflict in uh, criticizing Chloe Zhao and her comments about right. the China. I mean, so they're the Chinese government really uh, in a couple ways is being criticized they didn't play nba basketball all year, right right under under tbs or for for a portion of the year that wasn't that the case i don't know if it was all yeah there was definitely some kind of barring yeah in terms of what happened last year because of that yeah daryl Morey, yeah 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 so it's it's a conflict we should know more about you're absolutely right in saying that uh well it's just entering this fear right now i mean there's been scuttlebutt about chinese censors on american films for the last Mm -hmm. few years as the china market has just exploded in terms of box office dollars so that has been something we have talked about on several occasions we've talked about once upon a time in hollywood and that scandal or not scandal but you know you know what i'm saying it was a big thing with the censors there uh, and and yeah, they they had they were button heads over the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it really never aired, as far yeah. as we know, right? China. So yeah, so uh, we go from talking about Do Not Split, and uh, look, Love Song for Latasha was heartening, uh, if if still sad. Do Not Split maybe anger inducing but harrowing and surreal this one hunger ward i think was just the abject saddest for me toughest to get through toughest to watch mike yeah yemen is still in a civil war over there and in their own words you know they they've learned how a society can crumble over a decade of civil war and how they just lost so many resources to the point where they're dependent on foreign aid and and in some of these instances where, where these kids are just living on a diet of whatever aid is given to them yes. from the United Nations etc they some of them are, have gluten allergies and there's this one kid in there she's malnourished because everything is wheat based and she yes. has this allergy so yeah this was just absolute absolutely uh just crushing i i, I you look here, here's the here's the pull on all these documentaries. They're hard to watch, but they're worth it. Yeah. Like you, you'll watch this, and you'll feel you'll feel inspired by the doctors, the heroes. The, I mean, there's the a doctor in this who literally goes into her own wallet to right. give a father who can't provide for her his child. Who need her? The child needs food. The doc. The father says he just sold ten calves because they have nothing and the doctor goes into her own wallet to hand her money for juice. I mean, that's amazing stuff. 
it's the story of all documentaries that are usually well most documentaries oscar nominated right, right. i mean you get through them and, and it's worth it it's really good for the soul hungerward.org is where you guys can get involved support and yes donate find a way to donate there there's a big button donate button hungerward w-a-r-d.org I don't know how you rank these personally. For me, again, this was the heaviest and toughest to get through. When you see, I mean, I, I just have a problem kids, with, with yeah. yeah children getting hurt in general. So uh, definitely something that's going to stick with me for a while. We go from there to Colette. Another sad one, but not, and this one was more inspiring too. The strength of this woman. We have an, an older woman named Colette, a French woman, who is literally reliving the last days of her brother, Jean-Pierre Catherine, who was taken from her family and served in a internment camp in World War II and unfortunately was put to death, murdered uh, just weeks before the Allied liberation of the uh, Nazi Germany. So this is directed by Anthony Giacchino. Yes, the younger brother of Michael Giacchino, Mike. Yeah. So that, I didn't know that. that. That's wild. Uh, there's a couple connections to Oscar nominees here. But yeah, this is this is a story where... I I got like hyped up at a couple of moments when she basically tells that German mayor. Oh, that was awesome. STFU yep. right then and there. That was like my favorite moment of this two hours. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> so that was, was awesome. That. Uh, but the young student researcher accompanies her, and she's really a shoulder to to lean on. There, she does a great job. She's a kid, college kid, or whatever, taking her through the situation. Um, and uh, ninety one, uh, ninety one years old for Colette, and she's in great shape walking around be yeah. around there i mean i give her all the credit in the world i would expect i would hope that she had family there as well it's a little nuts to me that she would just be there with this college kid who sent her a letter <laughs> but I, yeah, i'm guessing that. that was yeah i'm guessing that's behind the scenes and you know but i look i mean this was this was one of those situations where you're crying but you're also feeling like th- this is therapy for colette this is therapy for for everybody and the grieving process when it's accelerated in like a 35 minute short and you, you watch that it's, it is really therapeutic. It is helpful. It's instructive. It's, it's watching her be as honest as she was about her entire life, stealing against the, this reality about her brother, who was a resistance fighter mm-hmm. who, yeah, I mean, I, that, that it, it's just that level of, that level of coping and it's just it really is something to behold and powerful like, storytelling you're yeah you're blown away you're knocked and, over by it and the the fact that they're able i mean in such a short amount of time they they're able to weave this dichotomy between what it means to study history and what it means to relive it and you right. got you have the young student who's guiding colette through this internment camp and colette basically asks her at one point how can you study all this well, the the answer is the student says it helps me to remember, and then Colette saying, "When here, I took so long to forget." And yeah. it's, I mean, just that one moment to me was like, "Holy Christ!" A great job of filmmaking, great piece of filmmaking is Colette. I thought uh, a concerto is a conversation was the fifth and final one, and uh, the most uplifting uh, in a long, uh, but the most conventionally uplifting, I'll say, uh, of these five. Yeah, from the New York Times, and I believe it's still on YouTube. This is 13 minutes, and you can watch it. I've already kind of reviewed it, I think. This is about Horace Bowers Sr., Mike, the grandfather of composer-slash-musician Chris Bowers, who composed the score of Green Book and also does work for Netflix, Dear White People. Wildly prominent uh, composer, yeah. Yeah, so it's about him, a virtuoso jazz pianist and film composer, tracks his family's lineage through his 91-year-old grandfather from Jim Crow, Crow, Florida, to the Walt Disney Concert Hall. And you literally see uh, photos to the grandfather. It's a conversation between uh, Chris Bowers and his grandfather, both speaking to the camera, both speaking to each other in their living room. And this is all a backdrop not only to to reshow the grandfather's path, the the shoes that he walked in, but it also Mm -hmm. leads up to this concerto that Chris Bowers performs in the uh, concert hall of Disney there that the film ends on. It's amazing how in 13 minutes... You can make Horace Bowers Sr. feel like everybody's grandfather because yeah, he does so many absolutely. little things. Like, yeah, let me, 
let me uh, get your suit ready for you. Mm-hmm. But all, but also he tells these stories that are just so unique to his experience. Like, oh my God, you're just the regular old grandpa, but you're also this kind of hero who went through this level of shit. Oh my God. Yeah. So I just love this short so much for, for having him be able to tell those stories so quickly and, and get you on, you know, through the storytelling process so fast. Like, I can't believe they're able to tell a story in 13 minutes like this. We have labored for years to tell any story. <laughs> and so many of our podcasts go We long can't get through long. an episode in 13 right. minutes. <laughs> this guy tells the story in 13 minutes. So I'm just, I'm so very impressed uh, by, by this short film. I, I would think maybe the length, I, I would think this is the front runner right now. I don't know about how... How you, I mean, how can you, you know, pr- go through these and 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 rate them? I mean, th- yeah. again, it's just like apples and oranges. It's really tough. Ava DuVernay produced this one. A concerto is a conversation, but you have major connections, like I said, throughout the card here. So it's it's hard to it's hard to purse through them. Yeah, this feels like cheating for Chris Bowers to. Uh to be in this category because he is so prolific already and so attached to the Oscars. There's a clip of him on the Oscar stage as Green Book is, is accepting its award for Best Picture a couple of years ago. So it's like, you're getting an Oscar on the cheap here, buddy. But it is obviously that's just tongue-in-cheek for me all saying that. It's it's a fascinating story. It's a, These yeah. are all five great documentary shorts. And I, I, I don't, you know, I know we've done this a couple times already, reviewing mm-hmm. this category and going through these shorts over the years, and we've tried to find the highlights. You don't have to try to find highlights in any of these five. These are all five well worth the watch. They all give their own lessons in their own ways, and I, I, it's two hours and 15 minutes. that We watched movies we gave full-fledged ORCs to that didn't satisfy me as a critic as well as these five did in the wow. two hours and 15 minutes I spent with them. So I think it's a great category this year. Yeah, it's a great category, and we we would be happy for any one of these five winners. I, I gotta say, I mean, yeah, the most uplifting one. It's kind of easy to pick that, but are they gonna go? With, is this category of all categories gonna go? Is this branch gonna go with the most uplifting one? Who knows, Mike? That's true. Yeah, they might. It might be a write-in winner, knowing what the documentary <laughs> branch does with the Oscar Sunday. But that's something that will remain to be seen. We're gonna, we plan on covering the other two shorts categories as well as the uh, the weeks come by and we get closer and closer to Oscar Sunday. Here, a lot more ORCs in your future, dear listener. But as far as the immediate future, what matters most, as always, is what you think. What were your thoughts on the record-setting SAGs stage? We didn't even make mention first time in SAGs history that all. Four winners were people of color. Uh, what are your thoughts about the winners at SAGS? Were you a surprise at the upset that was Viola Davis winning? Did you hear any leaks? What are your thoughts about the leaks, the winners, the losers, the snubs? What do you think it does for the Oscars picture in general? You can leave us all of those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, concerns you have about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts including and especially the apple podcast app where if you are listening to us right now if you would be so kind as to go into that app tap on our logo and leave us a five-star review that would truly make our entire day michael tell the good people what is coming next in the immediate future and give us some words of wisdom to end on words of wisdom michael uh is our play on film criticy pretension so i will eschew <laughs> all of the wise words said by these documentary features here <laughs> because i should call back to them in words of wisdom and i will uh i will just say to the people out there let's we're having fun with this oscar season despite a crazy ass year yeah and we're going to continue to have fun with it i think this is kind of like these monday episodes we're going to be reacting to the latest breaking awards but i do think like we got a bunch of interviews coming up we got a bunch more fun conversations with guests coming up more category pods I mean, it, we, if you heard the, the swell conversation, that was a wild one. David <laughs> leading into our Oscar Locks pod when we went kind of PGA into Oscar Locks. That's a good one, too, right there. It's, uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun kind of to let the season play out. And hopefully, like, the whole playlist is listenable kind of. So if you, if you missed a couple of things, just go back. I mean, it still, it still plays. 
Yeah, we're giving Shameful you all words of wisdom. No, it's, it's it, we like we bend over backwards to give you all the information you could possibly <laughs> need, and then some. Get you ready for Oscars Sunday, guys. When reality sucks, you can come check out these award shows and the fallout with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.